Welcome everyone to NGW's In a Nutshell podcast, which takes stock of the most important developments shaping the global gas industry. I'm happy to be joined once more by Thierry Bros, a professor at Sciences Po Paris, and Anne-Sophie Cobo, a global research scholar at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs. Uh, today we'll be uh, taking stock of the latest developments in the uh, European energy crisis saga. Um, hi guys, thanks thanks, thanks to, uh, for being here. Uh, since we last spoke in November, um, what are the key developments that have uh, taken place? How has the mood in the European gas market shifted? Um, prices, of course, are, for one thing, certainly a lot more comfortable, although they're still very high if this was a typical year. Um, let's start off with, you know, what, is, what has driven that sharp decline? Uh, and Sophie, would you like to start off? Well, I think we can thank the weather, the relatively mild weather that we have had since the 19th of December for that. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely, we had about four weeks of exceptionally mild weather. And if you remember correctly, the first weeks of December were pretty cold and we had started seeing storage levels going down. But then what happened at the very end is that because of the mild weather, the storage level stabilized and we started seeing at the very same time gas prices coming down. They were at about 130, 140 euro per megawatt hour before and then they started coming down and now we have been around 50 euro per megawatt hour. As you say, this is still much higher than the 20 to 30 that we have been used to in the past. But this is significantly much lower than uh, we have seen otherwise in um, in the past year. Uh, I also note that the European gas demand also remains relatively low because we have seen also a much lower gas demand in the industrial sector. I think also there have been some significant efforts being made in the residential sector. Power generation is a little bit more complicated. We can talk about that. And we are continuing to see relatively healthy LNG supply coming to Europe. Mm -hmm. Thierry, anything to add? Yes, I think, uh, as Anne-Sophie stated very clearly, I mean, we were saved uh, by the weather. I think uh, traders have done a great job. I mean, if we go back to what happened in 2022, we've been uh, in a position to replace all the Russian pipe gas missing by something different. As Anne-Sophie stated, there's been some demand reduction, but there's also been massive rerouting of US LNG that helped us. There's been a bit more Norwegian gas flowing into Europe at the expense, by the way, of Norwegian oil. The Norwegians have decided to help us and so therefore to reduce their oil to be in a position to uh, increase their gas production and I think we should thank them as allies for this. Uh, and at the end of the day, because of this uh, mild weather, we have uh, storage that are uh, completely uh, full at record level as we speak for the season and so therefore we can say that uh, the uh, crisis is uh, 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 postponed. For me, it's not over, it's postponed. I mean, we were lucky. Uh, and then the next question is, what are the next steps? Perhaps mm -hmm. I'll add one thing to what Anne-Sophie was mentioning. Uh, uh, the market has done the job. Policymakers, I would uh, question. I mean, uh, so far, uh, they've put 800 billion euros to help 
um, uh, European citizen and industry to cope with extreme high prices. But at the end of the day, uh, the uh, EU green uh, deal dogma is still there. And as you've seen, we've signed very little a new uh, gas contract. We've uh, uh, launched uh, no new facilities, et cetera, et cetera. So the crisis isn't over, unfortunately. Well, my next question was going to be on, on policy. Um, you know, is it just the high prices which uh, are, uh, are causing the, these this steep reduction in demand? Or, you know, how, can you attribute any of that decline to to policy incentives? Um, I think, I mean, you know, we have seen a lot of uh, different things happening. So uh, in the industrial sector, it's pretty clear that industries are reducing their gas consumption either because this is no longer competitive for them to actually produce. I mean, you know, if you are exposed to the international market and your gas prices are much higher, and especially if your gas price is an important component of your final product cost, then you are really at a disadvantage. And this is why why we have seen, for example, fertilizer producers reducing their consumption drastically. Uh, in the residential sector, I mean, there have been also, uh, the, it's simply the fact that gas prices for residential consumers, despite the help, has also increased. But I have to say, I mean, the things that Germany did uh, with their gas price premium so was particularly interesting. So they said to their consumers, okay, I am going to sort of cap the price or keep the price fixed for the first 80% of your historical gas consumption. Anything above that, you will pay the market price. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to protect the consumer while at the same time incentivize a gas demand reduction because the additional gas, everything which is above the 80% is going to be more expensive. What we have not solved, however, and this is where you know the European Commission was coming with, we are going to incentivize a lot more wind, a lot more solar, etc. Yes, we have seen in 2022 that the, the capacity installed has been higher, but definitely not at the level which is required, especially for wind, uh, to reach the 2030 target. And this is also something that the IA has recently observed when we, they were looking at the numbers. But the biggest problem for the power sector and the reason why we have actually not really decreased our gas consumption is because we have not had enough nuclear and we have not had enough hydro. And this is really crucial to understand that the loss of these two components was about 180 terawatt hours. Uh, the Power consumption in Europe roughly, roughly is about or was about 3000 terawatt hours. So this is a substantial number. And are we seeing an improvement in the French nuclear outputs? Um, you know, what's the outlook there? Is is it set to, you know, are we going to have fewer outages in this year? So there are two problems. The first one is that a certain number of these plants are going through their 10-year inspection, uh, especially mm -hmm. there are some who are 40 years old, and you need to go through a very thorough inspection, which lasts six months. Uh, so this is very serious because we are talking about safety here. Nobody wants to have a nuclear incident in France. So there mm -hmm. is there is that, and this is going to continue to impact our nuclear power plant for the next few years, which is why uh, EDF, when they are doing or making some forecast about uh, nuclear generation over the next few years, are not 
saying that we are going to go back to the roughly 400 terawatt hours that we were observing in the past decade uh, before mm -hmm. a few years. What they can try to solve is the corrosion issue. So that was about 30 to 40 terawatt hour. Uh, I think we are slowly, slowly getting there. But that was something completely unexpected and which is the result of decisions taken by engineers something like 30 years ago. So something which was totally unforeseeable. I see. Uh, Thierry, so um yeah. you you can you can give me a precise uh, answer but as i understand so russian pipeline gas supply to europe is now at something around 10 10 15% of the um pre-war level um i might be wrong there um but anyway uh has russia lost this energy war at least when it comes to gas Yes, just perhaps a comment, an added comment on, on the first question from Anne-Sophie. I think what sure. we've seen back in 2022 was the market was screaming there was a problem and we had prices that were uh, uh, uncompetitive in any way. I mean, if, if we looked at prices at the end of uh, uh, last summer, uh, the whole industry should have stopped. And it, mm. it changed, in fact, when finally policymakers realized there was a problem because Again, I mean, we are in year three of this energy crisis, but the first two years, uh, there was uh, uh, people in, in Brussels not recognizing this. And, and I think for mm -hmm. me, the statement of the recognition of policymakers in Brussels was uh, uh, the council regulation on the 5th of August stating we need to reduce our gas demand by 15% because this was the idea behind being in a position later uh, to put an embargo on Russian gas. And, and then I go back to your a question about how much gas do we receive. So uh, if you look at Russian pipe gas today, uh, in January, we received something like 1.7 BCM for the month of January versus something that used to be 14 uh, BCM for normal months prior to the weaponization of gas. So uh, my, my call here is that we will continue to receive a little bit of Russian gas uh, going forward because I don't think uh, Vladimir Putin has an incentive to fully cut uh, uh, Russian gas, because uh, mm -hmm. this will be, uh, I would I will label this the nuclear option uh, for two reasons. First of all, a little bit of gas still uh, provides some uh, disunion inside the European Union, because um, uh, Gazprom may be in a position to push, to push gas, this little bit of gas, to the least unfriendly countries, i.e. Um, the uh, uh, Hungary from uh, Viktor Orban. First of all, it also allows uh, Russia to say to others behind closed door, well, if you want more gas, we can. And, and again, if you look at the capacity Russia has to provide more gas uh, in Europe at uh, no changes, uh, it's more or less something like 4.5 BCM per month, i.e. full Turk stream plus uh, the contracted in Ukraine. So there, there is this room uh, for maneuver in, in, in Russia. And then uh, to, uh, to fully answer your question, I think we need to think about what's going to be after. After the war, are we going to see uh, any Russian gas uh, uh, coming into Europe? And how are we going, if uh, we win the war, how, how are we going to uh, look into this and to regulate this? Because now we've understood there could be weaponization of gas. We've seen this in 2021, in 2022. And so if we want uh, some Russian gas going forward in the mix, we have to make this immune to weaponization. Mm -hmm. 
and what possible outcomes? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, maybe I can add to that because, I mean, we have just published at Columbia uh, a report looking at the future options for uh, Russian gas exports. And mm -hmm. what we found out is that, of course, it depends very much on the state of geopolitics. So, you know, where are we in the conflict with Russia? Are we in a situation where everything has deteriorated? And there is a possibility that we could no longer receive pipeline gas, but also Russian LNG, which is still coming to Europe. But, you know, looking also in seven years from now, by 2030, there is also the possibility that, you know, we could have some sort of peace agreement. I mean, there might be a change in Russia. There might be, you know, people with whom we can discuss. What is sure is that, you know, we have to consider two things. The first one is how much infrastructure would be available to, to, to supply Europe, uh, and in particular in terms of pipelines, because Nord Stream 1 has been damaged, and we don't know to what extent, you know, it can be repaired and who would how to do that exactly. Nord Stream 2 has been also partially damaged. There is still apparently one string which will be operational. Mm -hmm. But we still have capacity for Ukraine, although that would be very interesting discussion to basically go back to even the contractual level of 40 billion cubic meters that uh, Thierry was mentioning. We mm -hmm. have also a pipeline which is going through Belarus and arriving to Poland, which is intact, but because Russia doesn't want to use that pipeline, it's not used right now. So there mm -hmm. is a capacity to at least go to easily, you know, anywhere between 70 and, and, and even much higher levels. However, you know, there is a question, you know, do we want to go back to high levels of Russian gas? And I don't think we want. So there would be a need to regulate a little bit like Spain has been doing with Algeria, you know, in the Spanish law and regulation, they basically cap the percentage of Algerian gas that they are receiving. So you could imagine mm -hmm. something like that being done at an EU level for all countries anybody you do not take more than i don't know 10 percent of your imports coming from russia and maybe they can be you know uh, some different percentages because of course you need to take into account uh, the reality of the infrastructure but we are never mm -hmm. going to go back to the levels we were before and also because it's very likely that our gas demand meanwhile is going to drop because of all the action which is done on energy efficiency on the increase in terms of wind and solar etc and the electrification and the increase in hydrogen mm -hmm. per perhaps uh, i'd like to add you i mean i've published something early in january in natural gas world and that has, yeah. seems yeah. to have some traction uh, on, uh, on the diplomatic level. I mean, uh, we if, if there is a peace agreement, and I take the if uh, of Anne-Sophie, then uh, uh, there will also be this question about repayment. Who pays for what? And and, 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 and you're hearing people in Brussels and different capitals saying Russia must pay, which uh, maybe is possible as long as uh, there is an, a peace agreement and we win, and we win the war, which is uh, two, two big ifs. Um, mm -hmm. But then the question, if we want Russia to pay, Russia can only play with gas. That's a very, a very simple element. So we may end up with something like what we've seen uh, back in, in Iraq with the oil for food from uh, Saddam Hussein uh, program. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we have to be um, very realistic, as Anne-Sophie was mentioning. Uh, we have to make sure that there won't be any weaponization of gas. And the way I, I, I did the math was to say, well, 
if we look at uh, how much uh, electricity is produced from coal in Europe, because at the end of the day, we still have to go through our climate targets. And so the first climate target should be to remove coal and replace it by gas and then replace this gas by renewable, which is what uh, our dear friend uh, the uh, British have done uh, back since 2018. Uh, just to give you uh, a broad number, if we were to replace today all the electricity uh, produced by coal by electricity produced by gas, we will need 90-90 BCM of extra gas uh, in Europe. And this is what I'm saying. So I agree with Anne-Sophie, it cannot be back to the big numbers, but I'm saying let's go for 80 BCM, so i.e. the full replacement of um, uh, coal. And, and, and my view here is, well, uh, it could be done in a system where we are saying to the Russian, this gas goes to replace our coal. Uh, this is going to be in dedicated countries. Uh, I have in the article, people can access it, I have in the article a way to make sure that there is no mismanagement on uh, Russia's side on market prices. So I price it at a completely different level than anything that is market price in Europe. And then I'm saying to all member states, well, if you want, uh, you use the uh, joint EU purchase uh, mechanism. We agglomerate all those volumes and then we uh, reach up to 80 uh, BCM max or, or 65 if we uh, don't go uh, through uh, Turkey. Turkey. I, I, I'm not a big fan of Belarus uh, and Sophie because uh, Belarus is owned by Gazprom anyway, so they could do it. But after Belarus comes Poland, and I believe Poland will make it extremely impossible uh, for uh, Russian gas to transit via Poland as Poland doesn't need any Russian gas any longer. And if you do this, so if you take those 65 BCM per year, then you can say that uh, uh, we uh, Europeans pay uh, to uh, gas from uh, a cost plus of the gas, and then we put the rent of the gas into an escrow account for Ukraine. And in the next 10 years, uh, we could be in a position of having repaid more or less the GDP of Ukraine, the annual GDP of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And Sophie? add that uh, i mean while i can agree that you know transiting through belarus and arriving to poland might be difficult so negotiations with ukraine have also been in the past particularly complicated if you remember the negotiation of the so-called current contract you know back uh, before 2019 was also not an easy thing to do so you know, there is no easy thing. Actually, it's, the easiest would be maybe uh, to use the undamaged North Scheme 2 pipeline. But again, because this is North Scheme 2, uh, it might be also, from the German point of view, a political hot potato that they don't want to deal with. And with Ukraine, the Ukraine get the transit fee as they continue. It's two point something a billion uh, euro in my uh, in, in my spreadsheet. So it helps also uh, stabilizing the uh, Ukrainian-Russia flows and relation in gas. But difficult, I agree. Mm -hmm. um, Especially I mean, considering been... that they will be asking for, you know, a kind of repayment, I mean, uh, Ukraine has been almost, I mean, large parts of Ukraine have been destroyed. So, you know, beyond the energy sphere, I mean, there is also the whole question on how, I mean, if Russia loses the war, how they are going to repair for the damages that they have done in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. There has been some discussion in Moscow about expanding the Turk stream. Um, you know, that falls under this uh, uh, 
Turkish gas hub uh, proposal, which which both Putin and Erdogan um, have have drummed up as a, an option. Um, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Thierry? Well, uh, I, I think that's not in the interest of Europe. I mean, uh, again, if we want to uh, have this repayment, I mean, it needs to be a, a complete transparent process. And uh, uh, the easiest way for us to have a transparent process will be, uh, as I stated, to put an escrow account and uh, to uh, deliver the, the money directly to Ukraine. I mean, um, it, it, it can work with the... Uh, actual capacity in, uh, in the Turk stream that is dedicated to Europe. I don't think um, in a, a peace or whatever, an agreement, uh, there will be this uh, increase in the capacity of the Turk stream because this will make mm -hmm. system more difficult to... Uh, and again, we remember what, what, you, what we are looking at, sanction or, or, or programs for this. The, the problem is the grey zone. The problem is... Uh, uh, what's what's evading the sanction? What's evading? What's going outside? So I mean, having a, a few dedicated line is much easier than having one new line being created just for this process. Okay, and um, looking at the short term, uh, another development: uh, Freeport LNG is starting up again um, tentatively. Um, how much of a contribution is that going to make to to the European market? I mean. That terminal was obviously a, 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 you know, it sold a lot of gas to Europe uh, prior to its uh, shutdown. Uh, and Sophie? Well, I see that as a good news for global LNG market in general. You know, uh, it's going to be another 20 billion cubic meters. So this is quite significant. Uh, the global LNG trade right now is about 540 BCM. So anything that we can add in terms of supply is absolutely welcome. And we should not forget that, you know, uh, we have taken quite a bit of natural gas or LNG away from Asia. This Asian demand might restart at some point. We are seeing some signs again uh, from from china for example mm -hmm. so i think you know anything which can contribute to lower the global energy price and 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 contribute to increased supply is welcome i also thought that unfortunately um you know over the next uh, two years i mean there is going to be relatively little additional energy capacity coming to the market so the lng plants that are starting operating this year are relatively small whether we are talking about for example tango whether we are talking about senegal and mauritania so the big one mm -hmm. that should have started is Arctic LNG2, but there is a question mark on whether this is going to start or not on time or not. How much mm -hmm. is it going to be one train? Are we going to see the next trains uh, next year and then in 2026? There are a lot of question marks on that. And this mm -hmm. is contributing to the tightness of the global LNG market over the next few years. However, where there is a question mark is that no, in my experience, looking at LNG projects over the past 20 years, project sponsors are always extremely optimistic about the starting date. They always tell you, don't worry, it's mm -hmm. going to start by then, we are on time, etc. Uh, that would be extremely good news if some LNG plants which have said that they are going to start in 2024 indeed are starting in 2024 because mm -hmm. that would basically bring more LNG supply and contribute to... Uh, lowering the tightness on global energy markets. 
Okay, and yeah, there, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty about Arctic LNG too. The, the Russian side seems to keep on saying that it's on, on schedule, but certainly a lot of uncertainty. Um, another thing I, I came across the other day, uh, a proposal in Germany by Germany's government to to look at restricting Russian LNG imports. Um, I assume you're going to tell me that's a bad idea, um, but do you think that proposal might might make progress? Is it something that, that Germany or others might adopt in the future? Well, I mean, first of all, there is still quite a bit of Russian LNG which is coming to Europe also because it makes sense for them from an economic point of view to target the market, which, you know, for a large part of 2022 was at a premium. So when you look at, mm -hmm. you know, where Yamal LNG is and the net bank that they can get by selling to Europe, it's economics 101. It does make sense. Now, to the uh, proposal of Germany, it really depends whether we are restricting LNG exports from Russia, which I would say is a very bad idea because it's about 40 billion cubic meters overall, and we need that LNG for the global LNG market. Now, if they are saying we don't want that LNG to come to Europe, including the United Kingdom, which, by the way, doesn't want to have Russian LNG anymore and this mm -hmm. since 2022. Then this is a different question. We are going to see the same thing happening as we see on the oil markets, which is the LNG from Russia is just going to go somewhere else. It's going to make things much more complicated, however. This is the only problem because during winter, when the Russian LNG from the Yamal Peninsula cannot go through the northern route, it would have to go all the way uh, through the Suez Canal, etc., to reach Asia. So this is going mm -hmm. to maybe contribute to a little bit more tightness of the global LNG market. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yes, but perhaps I'll add one thing. I mean, uh, Russia LNG is uh, increased security of supply for us, we like it or not. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, I mean, remember the northern route, as Anne-Sophie uh, stated, is closed in winter. And so therefore, they have to come in Europe. Uh, and in, in, interestingly enough, uh, the reloaded has been uh, limited because we don't have those slots available. So in fact, uh, if we look at the, at the world, yes, uh, in winter, when there is normal, uh, a normal winter, i.e., uh, 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 no uh, zero COVID policy in China. China takes most of the LNG, but we take uh, the Russian LNG. So interfering in this system uh, may again uh, be uh, counterproductive at uh, the uh, European level. We, we, mm -hmm. we may like it or not. That, that's another story. But um, I, I think we have to look at the geography here, as Anne-Sophie stated, and the northern route is not open all year long. And so therefore, we quote-unquote, benefit from a Russian LNG in plain winter. Do you think anything similar to the price caps on Russian oil, petroleum and products might be considered for Russian LNG in the future? If you remember the whole saga of price caps, which has happened since, basically, I think uh, the European Council mentioning that in May 2022, one of the proposals was we are going to price 
so to, to put a cap on the price of Russian gas and LNG. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. the answer from the Russian authorities was pretty clear. Well, then in that case, <laughs> you are no longer going to get any Russian gas, period. So if we were to do that, mm -hmm. um, I would say that, you know, the 20 BCM or so that we are still getting in terms of pipeline gas from Russia might disappear. And on top of that, uh, yes, the LNG would be redirected somewhere else, but I'm not even sure that actually uh, people would, I mean, the, the price cap would actually work, period. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm I, I'm very uh, dubious of those elements for, for, for many reasons. I mean, um, we can look at the price cap at uh, the TTF, and, and again, I think uh, the best uh, outcome has been that uh, the ICE is now opening a TTF traded in uh, in in the uk to avoid the cap so it shows you that the market doesn't like this and it's not going and so we've uh, shot ourselves in 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 the foot uh, again on this one but if i go to uh, price cap for others because this is a bit of of, of a very colonialist view is saying well we we don't want this but you'll have to pay it at this price uh, uh, cap I, I i think we are making the fortune of china and india at the end of the day uh, they uh, they can buy um, uh, oil at at a cap, uh, diesel, uh, petrol at a cap. Uh, I mean, we, we should look at. I mean, sanctions should be designed in a way to hurt Russia uh, more than us, but not uh, as helping the Chinese. I mean, I mean, we are giving a Chinese uh, the benefit of having. A, low energy prices on top of what they have already, which is a low labor. And, and, and if I may, I'll add something which is in the oil uh, business. I think we, we are making a big mistake by putting a, a price cap on diesel. I think um, this is not uh, going to have the, the, the impact we think. And again, by having an embargo on diesel, we are in fact creating massive um, increase in refining margin in Europe, uh, which mm -hmm. is uh, at the contrary, which is going to hurt us. I mean, it's going to benefit the few companies are doing it, that are that, that are doing this. But this, I would uh, call this a profit of war. And and I think the Commission and member states should look at this much more than trying to set international prices in a way where remember we are market economies. I think it's it's forgotten sometimes in in, in Europe or even in in, in Washington DC. We are market economies. Mm -hmm. Well, the TTF gas price um, uh, cap was was introduced this month. Um, if I'm correct, it wouldn't have been triggered. It's so the conditions are so uh, difficult to meet that it wouldn't have been triggered at any point last year, um, even when you had that late August spike. Or am I wrong? No, actually, uh, so the first proposal would not have been triggered. You may right. remember that they were proposing yes, uh, yes. 275 okay. euros per megawatt hour. Yeah. Now, if you are looking at the ESER report that they published uh, in early uh, January 2023, you can see that, in fact, it would have been triggered from basically a period from the end of July 2022 to roughly the end of September. Because the conditions okay. are... 
are, are, are much different than what was proposed uh, a month before. Uh, we ended up with um, uh, so two conditions. Uh, the fact that the TTF front month is at 180 euro per megawatt hours for three consecutive working days, and that at the same time there is a difference with uh, the EU reference price, which is in fact the price that ESER is publishing now based on a basket of LNG import, uh, and, and it has to be 35 euro per megawatt hour or more than 35 euro per megawatt hour higher. So if these two conditions are met, then this is when uh, the, uh, the price uh, cap is triggered. But as we, at the time, we didn't have this uh, uh, LNG uh, index, uh, perhaps it would have been slightly different. Uh, again, and the LNG index from ASA is a bit of something that is out of the blue and perhaps uh, not uh, so resilient as an index going forward. Okay, yeah, well, thank funny enough. Go ahead. Funny enough, I mean, uh, the European Commission has been literally obsessed, you know, with this... Uh, index on LNG and they have been also obsessed about the fact that there was this gap between TTF and, uh, for example, the SNP, uh, Northwestern European LNG Index. And, and hence, you know, this affirmation that the market is broken, TTF is no longer representative. And, you know, this is why we are getting now all these attempts to, you know, move away from TTF, which, I mean, TTF the market is working. I mean, what TTF was just saying is that we have been removing or uh, there is not enough Russian gas supply coming to Northwest Europe, but the capacity to replace that missing Russian gas supply is actually uh, not available. We have not enough LNG regasification capacity in Northwest Europe. Now it's changing. And at a certain point in time, uh, the, the gap between, you know, the, the so-called Northwest European LNG price and TTF is going to shrink. Well, it has already, but if we were in the same condition as before, you know, it would have shrunk anyway because we are adding LNG regasification capacity. Of course, now the situation is totally different. TTF prices have come down, uh, the European reference price as well. So we are in a totally different situation. And, and if I may, TTF was a great achievement of past commission and the uh, Dutch government. I mean, remember back uh, prior to Brexit, we were all talking in NBP in pounds per term. So, uh, I mean, we've successfully in Europe managed to have one commodity traded in euro, which is the gas. And now this commission is trying to fill with the market. So I think this is why I'm always very worried when people are trying to fill with the market, because at the end of the day, uh, we are uh, pushing for other indexes, as we've seen with ICE opening uh, a counter index. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, thanks to both of you for a very interesting discussion. Um, any closing remarks? Uh, and Sophie? Well, I think, uh, I mean, despite the relatively good news that the gas prices have come down, the market remains very tight. So we should be extremely careful. We need to continue in the good direction, which is try to basically reduce our gas consumption to the maximum, but at the same time being very mindful that we don't want to damage our industrial sector too much. I mean, I think the industrial sector is suffering uh, from the high energy prices. Uh, there is also some 
something which uh, is worth looking at and keeping an eye on, which is uh, the reform of uh, the power market, the power market design, which is also going to keep us quite busy. I know for us gas people, this is a little bit on the side, but I think this is going to have some implications for the gas market as well. Yeah, yes, and, and, and I'd like to finish with the electricity market reform. I think uh, it's uh, something the Commission should have thought before, because if we go back to uh, 2019, when Ursula von der took uh, the lead position, she came with a Green Deal, and in the Green Deal was the idea that CO2 prices would have to go up. This was embedded in the Green Deal. And, and I've been saying this since 2019. I mean, if you have this Green Deal and you do not reform the electricity market, which was a choice at the time, was a choice at the time, then you're going to end up with greenflation, i.e. the electricity price was bound to increase whatever the gas price was going to, to do, whatever the coal price whatever was going to do. And, and, and in fact, again, uh, we uh, woke up uh, by this uh, weaponization of gas. But the problem of electricity um, being indexed to the price of CO2 uh, at the end of the day is important in a world where we want to be greener. And, and, and I think I, it's, it's important for gas people, but I think it's important for the world to, to watch this because uh, this, uh, if we back uh, many years ago when we stated how it was going to be traded commodities, be it oil, be it gas, be it electricity, the marginal was setting the price. In electricity, the marginal is something which is a market electron that has some CO2 element, and some electrons have no CO2 uh, carbon footprint. And so, therefore, the pricing of this should be completely different. And, and, and I think this is an extremely important element. I hope the Commission gets it right, uh, because uh, this will be uh, uh, perhaps a reform that's going to be watched all over the world, because this is important. How do we uh, manage to go greener without having this um, green inflation on some elements that are not needed? I mean, why should we have uh, solar electricity being priced at the uh, cost of gas plus CO2 if we're using gas? So I think that's, uh, I think, an extremely important element. Uh, the Commission is supposed to release this in March. Uh, we will see if this Commission is able to do this in its uh, tenure, uh, but I, I, I hope they will because I think it's uh, an emergency situation right now. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so um, key headlines are energy crisis uh, isn't over yet and uh, important to watch out for that power market reform. Um, okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, and thanks to everyone for tuning in. This has been NGW's In a Nutshell podcast. Thank you and see you next time.